0: In this week's shear of Parshat Balak, we are going to begin from an unorthodox place. We're learning Parshat Chavua. We should start in the Chumash, in the Parsha, or at least in the whereabouts. And this time, we're going to begin in the Gemara. The Gemara in Baba Batra, Daf says the following: Moshe katav Sifro uParshat Bilam veIov. Moshe wrote his book and Parashat Bil'am, Bil'am's parasha, and Iov. Eov doesn't interest us right now. The Gemara discusses many different opinions about who wrote Eov, when Eov took place, if it took place. Moshe's Sifro, his book, refers to the Torah at large. The ostensibly, Moshe's Sefer, the Chamisha Chumshei Torah, Includes within it parshat Balak, or as the Gemara refers to it as Parashat Bilam. The Torah calls the Parashah Parashat Balak because the first substantial word in the Parashah is Balak, Vayar Balak ben Sipur. The Gemara calls it Parashat Bilam because indeed the main character of the parashah is not Balak, but rather Bilam. Parshat Bilam, or Parashat Balak, however we'll have it, is part of Kum Humshei Torah. And seemingly it's part of... Sifro Shel Moshe, Moshe's book. Why then does the Gemara count, list these two as two separate things? Sifro Parashat Bilam. Rashi on the Gemara there says Parashat Bilam, Nivuoto Umishalav Afalpish Enan Sorche Moshe Vitorato Vesederma Sav. The the parshat bilam refers to his prophecy and his mishalim, his sayings that, uh, that were said at the end of the parsha. The and 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 then Rashi explains why. Why does this not belong? Because they are not necessary for Moshe, and his Torah, and it's not part of his chronological actions, it's not part of his actions at all. And here we, the last two words in Rashi, the order of his actions, really lead us to note uh, and notice the significance of Parashat Balak, and why the Gemara, Lists it as a separate entity within Hamisha Chum Torah. The subject of the Torah, from the beginning of Sefer Shemot till the end of Sefer Devarim, is Bnei Israel, Bnei Israel, and their leader Moshe, but Bnei Israel. And suddenly, as an island. Within Chamisha Chum Torah, we have Parshat Balak, Parshat Bilam. Vayar Balak ben Sipor, it kol Asher asa Balak ben Sipor saw what Bnei Yisrael did to the Emori. Vayagor Moab, they were afraid. As a result of this fear, Balak contacts Bilam to curse Bnei Yisrael. And the ensuing Parsha, Bilam does he come? Doesn't he come? Bilam's incident with the Aton, with his donkey. Bilam finally coming to Moab, and then attempting to curse Ben Israel, but time after time ending up blessing them. And then finally Bilam going away, back to his place, and Balak going back to his place, and then Vayeshi Israel Bashitim. And then towards the end of the Parsha, we go back to the normal narrative of... We're talking about Bnei Israel. Bnei Israel is, are, are dwelling in the Shitim, The story at the end of the parsha, which we will get to as well, but the, the vast majority of the parsha, from Per Hafbet Pasuk Bet till the end of Perak Dalid is not about Bnei Israel. It's about Balak and Bilam. Bil- Balak charging Bilam with cursing Bnei Israel and Bilam's attempt to do so. And failing, and ultimately blessing Bnei Israel. Bnei Israel are characters within, the, within this story, but they are background characters. They are the reason that Balak is afraid. They are the reason that Balak calls upon Bilam to take action. And if if we if we had a movie of this, then we would see Bnei Israel in the background. We would see Bilam standing on. Different mountains and different places at different at three different times, and him standing and overlooking a multitude of people, but we would not see the actions of the people necessarily. We would see them from far away. Bnei Israel are not the subject of the story of Balak and Bilam. This story is really not a story of Israel. it's not a story about the four, of the forefathers of Israel. it's the story of Balak and Bilam and what happened between them. And at this point we have to say that I'm not exactly sure what Rashi meant. When he said Moshe, they are not necessary for Moshe. But clearly Kadosh Baruch Hu decided that this story is included in the Torah, it's included in Torah to Moshe in the five books of Moshe. And this story is necessary, putting aside what Rashi said, for some sort of message that has to get across in Sefer Bamidbar. From here we'll go into the story a little bit and we'll try at the end to come back to this question or this issue that we've raised about this unique story, this divided story, this separate story that is sitting here in the middle of Sefer Bamidbar, which is sitting in the middle of the Chumash, which is different than the rest of the Chumash. As we said, the story is familiar to all of us, Balak the king of Moab is afraid of B'nei Israel's presence near his border, though we can point out that B'nei Israel are prohibited from attacking Moab, as they are pro- prohibited from attacking Edom and Ammon. And not, nonetheless, whether he knew this this prohibition or not, Moab is threatened by this nation that has just conquered two great kings, the Emori, Sichon Melech Emori and Og Melech which was described at the end of last week's parsha, Parashat Chukat, and he sees that through normal military means he has no chance of beating Bnei Israel, as even Sichon and Og, these two great kings of the More, were unsuccessful in fighting them. He also understands that there's something supernatural about the success of Bnei Israel if they were to conquer these two kings. And therefore, he understands that he must call in on supernatural forces to bring victory to his side. In this, in this, to this end, he calls on Bilam. Now, within the within what we're told in the Torah itself, um, it's unclear exactly what the background of Bilam. Rashi tries to develop uh, a a story that Bilam had already had successes in the past in fact he had successes um, regarding Balak that um, Balak was told by Bil'am that he would be the king of Moab and in addition uh, Bil'am was used to help Sihon defeat Moab at a different time and and therefore, Bilam has has a history here of success, and therefore he's called in to, to assist B'nai, to to assist Balak against Bnei Israel. In other places in the in the Tanakh, Bilam is referred to as a kosem. Somehow, Bilam has some sort of power. and We also see, of course, within the parsha, that uh, Bilam is someone who has some sort of connection to God and can talk to God. Bilam is called upon by Balak and Bilam is interested in taking upon this charge. But Bilam somehow understands that he is not permitted to make this decision on his own. Bilam's relationship with God is as such that he understands whatever power he has, his power is from God and therefore he must communicate with God in order to find out if he can do this. And God's answer is very clear to Bilam. You should not go with them, and you should not curse this nation, because it's blessed. And Bilam gives over this impression that he's not permitted to go. Nonetheless, Balak sends more impressive Sarim, more impressive princes to come and convince Bilam to come along, and he says, okay, I'll ask uh, God again. And once again, he communicates with God, but this time, God's answer is different. In, per- per- in Pasuk Kaf, it says, If they've come to call you, go with them. But, whatever I tell you to say, you'll do. God's... Opinion has suddenly changed. For initially, he told Bilam very clearly not to go, and now he's telling him he can go with the condition that whatever God tells him to do, he will do. This is already confusing. Why is God changing his mind? But the changing of the mind doesn't end here. So Bilam, after being told by God that he could go, gets up in the morning prepares his donkey and he goes with the princes of Moab. And God's reaction is, God is angry that he is going. What What's going on here? Why is God upset at Bil'am for going? And then we have this whole story with the Aton. Well, the story of the Aton, we're all familiar with, we'll highlight some of the major points. The Aton is going with Bil'am. And a Malach Hashem appears before the Aton, which is causing the Aton to, whether, whether he sees him or he senses him or something, it's causing the Aton to go off course. Initially, the Aton sees the Malach, and instead of going on the path, he goes away from the path into the field. And Bilam hits his, his Aton. The second time, the, the Malach is standing in a more narrow place, where there's a fence on either side and therefore this time for the donkey to get past the malach he has to squish Bil'am's leg up against the wall and again Bil'am hits his donkey finally the malach stands in a place where there is no passage on either side of the malach and therefore the aton just falls down at the place he doesn't go any further and finally Bil'am hits him a third time at that point, God reveals, or the Malach reveals himself to to, to Bilam, and, this, and they have this whole conversation. And once again, and, and Bilam understands that something is wrong, and he says, And if it's, it's not good, for, if, if it's bad for you that I'm going, I'll go back. And the Malach says, "No, Go with the people. However, whatever I tell you to do, you will say." Whatever I tell you to say, you will say. We have this very confusing uh, conversation here. God says no. God says yes, but. Again, God says seemingly no. He gets angry at Bilam for going. And then once again, at the end of this whole confusing, interesting, miraculous event with the donkey. Once again, he says what he had said previously. Go, but you have to listen to what I say. How do we understand all of this? I think, uh, once again, Rashi here uh, is, is tapped into uh, the essence of the conversation. And I think we'll take a, uh, an example from everyday life in order to understand this. We have a child who asks to go, teenage child, who wants to go to some sort of event that we're not really happy with them going to. So the first time they ask, we say... Don't go. I don't want you to go there. I think it's a bad thing for you to do. And the child keeps on coming back and saying, no, no, I want to go, I want to go. Finally, we see that maybe it's better to work with our child and come towards them a little bit, and we understand that there's a a limit to how much we can control what our child will do. So therefore we say, okay, you can go, but under these and these conditions. You have to be back by 11 o'clock. You have to come back with public transportation, you can't get in the car with your friends. But, are we giving them our permission with a whole heart? Are we happy with the fact that they're going, now that we've given them permission and we've changed our mind? No. So then, the next day, when this event that our child is going to comes, we're actually upset. And and maybe we bring up the whole issue again. No, I don't really think you should be going. And at the end, we come to some sort of conclusion that once again, we go back to our original stalemate, you'll go under certain conditions. I think this expresses what uh, uh, has taken place here in the conversation within between Bil'am and, uh, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Bil'am is interested in going with Sarai Balak, whether he's interested in the money, or he's interested in cursing Bnei Israel, he's interested in going. So he asks God. He doesn't say no. In other words, he didn't say no to the, the Sarim of Moab and Midian when they came. He didn't say, no, no, I don't curse people, I don't work for money. He said, let's find out. In other words, he's interested in going. And he, and he approaches God, or God approaches him more precisely. He waits to God, for God to, to discuss the matter with him. And God says, no, you shouldn't go. And instead of now understanding that he can't go, when Sarim Moab come back a second time, he says, let me check again. Let me ask again. Again, the child asking again, even though the father or the parent, the, the mother gave a very clear answer, the child is going back to the parent. Bilam is asking again. He's eager to go. So he asks again. And this time, Qadosh Baruch Hu says, this mission is not a good mission, but if you're so eager to go, you'll go under certain conditions. And then really, but really, this is, not a, this is not good that he's going, it's not good that it's in Bil'am's heart to go with these people, to do the mission that these people want, and after God clearly made his, 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 his opinion on the matter very clear, So therefore, this whole issue with the chamor, the, the, the which we'll get back to shortly, and, and then once again, after this whole give and take with the malach, he says, you're going, but you're going under my conditions. In other words, this whole back and forth with the donkey and this whole miraculous event is, is in order to make to be clear that it's not that I've given you permission. I've given you permission under certain conditions. When a child hears from the parent who at the end acquiesces and lets them go, but under certain conditions, the the child can hear one of two things. The child can hear, you have permission, or he can hear, you have permission under certain conditions. And this, this distinction is crucial. Because if the child wants to go so badly, and the father finally lets them go, they're liable to not hear the conditions. They're so excited that the father has given them permission, oh, thank you so much and they've forgotten that the father said under certain conditions. And apparently, this is what Bil'am heard. Bil'am was eager to go, and now he's got permission. And it's true that God gave him permission under certain conditions, but apparently, Bil'am only heard you have permission to go. And therefore, it was necessary for this whole exchange with the Aton to come and enforce, no, I did not give you permission to go. I gave you permission under certain conditions. And that second conversation now drives home the point, that it's not that I gave you permission, it's that I gave you permission under certain conditions. Once the permission that was given was again under question, and suddenly Bil'am is suggesting that he maybe he won't go at all. That time, Ashuvali. Now, once the permission was placed in jeopardy, now when God stresses again, the condition now Bilam will understand that it's permission with a condition that the condition here is crucial within the Parashah of the Aton I want to point out one particular nuance here there's a million questions and a million issues here but I want to point out one issue and show how it foreshadows the, the, the continuation of the Parashah there is a stress here in the parashah on 3 and the whole the aton seeing the the malach happens 3 times and bilam hits his donkey 3 times but if we notice as we pointed out already it's not 3 identical times it's 3 different times and there is a there's a movement here the first time bilam is just taken off the path by his donkey He's continuing to move in the right direction, but not on the, in the, on the path he exactly wants to go. He hasn't necessarily gone, against, gone away from his path. He's not on the path. He might still be heading north, but he's heading north through the field in an inconvenient way and not going straight on the path. The second time already, he's continuing to move, but it's already negative. He's getting hurt. The donkey is forcing his leg up against the wall, batil he's, regular He's forced Bil'am's leg up against the wall. Things are going already negatively. And finally, the third time, the donkey sits in place and he doesn't move. Many Parshanim have discussed the, the, the donkey and the opening of the mouth of the donkey as a, a symbol of... Bil'am being a tool in the hands of God, just like, just like God can open the mouth of the donkey to make it speak, so too Bil'am will only be a vessel of God's Word. He will not be speaking his own mind, he will be speaking the Word of God. And this is, of course, the condition which he's stressing over and over again. I, I'd like to go beyond that and suggest that not only is the speech of the donkey somehow foreshadowing the speech of Bil'am... But the occurrences here, the threefold occurrences of the donkey going off the path a little bit, being forcing Bil'am's leg against the wall and finally staying in place and not moving at all, somehow foreshadowing what's going to take place with Bil'am. Because when we look at the parashah of Bil'am further and see exactly what transpired, once again we will notice that there were three attempts to curse B'nai Israel. In three different places, he brings him to three different locations. b'amot baal. The first time is b'amot baal. The second time he takes him to state sofim, and finally he takes him to rosh peor. So there's three attempts to curse Bnei Israel. And in fact, I think if we look at the curses. Somewhat carefully, we will see that there is also some sort of movement, as well from from one curse to the next. The first, the, 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 of course, the three attempted curses, the three brachot. Ultimately, but the first one, Gimel Min Aram I've been called out from Aram to curse Yaakov. And to defile Israel. What shall I curse that God is not cursed, and how should I bring out anger when God is not angry? I see them from heights. They are a nation that dwells by themselves and does not take into account the other nations. Who can count the dust of Yaakov and count the quarters of Yisrael? May my death be the death of the straight ones and may my end be like theirs. I would say in the first bracha that there is negating... Of the idea of cursing. That's the stress. It's more descriptive of the present situation. I cannot curse them because God's not cursing them. They are a nation that dwells amongst themselves. Is that a bracha? Is that a or is that a description of the reality? Who can count them? There are many, there's multitudes of them may my end be like their end already here there's a hint to something that's good about their end I don't think there's anything active in the bracha that Bil'am has su- suggested here so in that sense it's true that Bil'am hasn't cursed B'nai Israel here but he might not have done any damage yet to the mission, maybe he's still yet be able to, to curse B'nai Israel. And here we move into the, to the next stage the second bracha. God is not someone who can who can lie and change his mind. Ironic, based on what we read at the beginning of the parasha. Of course, we've explained that God is not exactly changing his mind. Hine neve lakachti uverech Lo he beat Avin Adonai He has not seen anything wrong with Israel. God is with them. Truat Melech Bo, the truah, the king is with them. El Motziyami Mitzrayim, God that took them out of Egypt. Ketovot Rameh Lo, the strength of the ox. Kilo Nachash BiYakov Elokesem BiIsrael. There is no ksamim. There is no magic amongst Yaakov. It's all about God. Keet Ya Merly Yaakov BiIsrael Ma Paal El. Go back earlier to the to the first pasuk. Of the bracha, how amar v'lo yasevidi ber v'lo yikimena? Can God say something and not do it? Can He speak and not fulfill it? And finally, the last pasuk: Hen am kelavi akuma v'charit nasa lo yishkav ad yochal teref v'dam chalimi shte. The stress here is Bene Israel's connection to God, and here already something more is developed. This nation is not just a nation. This nation is a nation that has an oath from God, and God will not say something and then go back on His word. He will not fail to fulfill His word. And here already there is a movement towards a bracha. <speaking in Hebrew> here we're already talking about the Bene Israel's successes in battle. <speaking> in <Hebrew> he will not rest until he is eaten from his food, because Bnei Yisrael here are compared to a lion, V'dam Chalalim he'll drink the blood of his victims. And if, if, if Moab, if Balak has brought Bilam for a military victory, certainly this is already a movement in a negative direction, the Ramban suggests that this is only talking about a victory within Canaan, the land that they are heading towards. And therefore, there's still an opening. Again, so here we have the second place is not just is, is already a bracha. There's a movement in a negative direction as far as the mission was concerned. Because if he's supposed to curse B'nai Israel, he's not only cur- he's not only not cursing them, but he's t- foretelling their victory in battle. And finally, the third one. <laughs> His king will be, will go on top of Agag. He will defeat Agag. We're already seeing Bnei Israel not only defeating the lands of Canaan, but Agag as well. He already clear victory on an international level. B'nei Israel are going to defeat other nations. Here already Balak understands that Bilam has completely blessed Ben Israel in success beyond uh, beyond beyond the borders of Canaan, some sort of dynasty, some sort of empire. And therefore, at this point, he understands that he's lost. The three attempts, each time not so great, but each time getting worse. And finally, the third time, the mission has failed. Just like with the the Aton. The first time, the mission goes off course. The second time, the mission goes bad. The leg gets stuck against the wall, pushed against the wall, and finally the third time, the, the aton stays in place. The mission has failed. And so too, we see in the three stages of Bil'am's attempted kalot, he not only describes them nicely, he not only describes victory for them against Malchai Kenan, he's also describing victory for them on an international level, which already now becomes a threat to Moab. And at that point, Balak understands, run away to your place, I brought you to curse my enemies, and you blessed them three times, it's not going to work, the donkey, the Aton stays in place, he's not moving anymore, go back to the, our, the beginning, and then we have a couple minutes, just to understand what we, Reflected on at the beginning, what is going on here? Bilam is describing Bnei Israel in the highest terms. Matovo olecha Yaakov, and Rashi explains that it's talking about the tsniut of Bnei Israel, that the, the the entrances to their tents don't face each other, so they can't see into each other's tents. And Bnei Israel are going to succeed, and they're close to God, and God is on their side. And God has a has an oath to Bnei Israel to to fulfill. And they're going to crush their enemies, and we see this. We look at the parshiot before and after, ever more so after. In last week's parsha, Bnei Israel had two complaints, and in the second complaint, God was sending the to them. And at the end of the parsha, Bnei Israel are 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 coming in contact sexually with binot moav and they and they're sacrificing to their gods and we're talking about 24,000 people being killed and and in the middle of this we have parshat bilam telling us how B'nai israel are so good and so wonderful and so tzanua and then right after that we have baal Peor, the adultery in the avodah zarah 24,000 people were killed The message, I believe, of this parasha, this island in the middle of Sefer Bemidbar, Bemidbar being the the Sefer which describes Bnei failings, time and time again, is telling us that there is Bnei relationship to God, and within Ben Israel's relationship to God, Bnei Israel fail and they pay for their failings, but within the perspective. The bigger picture of looking at Bnei Israel through the eyes of the Umot HaOlam and how God is describing Bnei Israel to the Umot HaOlam, to the non-Jews, Bnei Israel are all good. Israel Afal Pisha shechata Israelu. Bnei Israel, even though they sin, they are Bnei Israel. And this is an important message within Sefer BeMidbar. Bnei Israel fail; they fail a lot. But, they're able to maintain the relationship with Kakadosh Baruch Hu. They are Am they are the nation that maintains the relationship, and even when they fail, they continue with that relationship. When a child fails, they maintain the relationship with their parents. Even when they do terrible things. I think... How do we understand this on just a basic level? What does it mean, Yisrael shachata Afal Pish Yisrael? Even though they sin, they get, they get a clean bill of health. So first of all, there's no clean bill of health. 24,000 people were killed. The individuals who have sinned certainly are punished. Even Bnei Yisrael at times as a nation sin. But where does the correction for Bnei Yisrael's sin come from? At the end of the parsha, Pinchas. Pinchas takes the spear and he ends the Magifah. He puts the spear through the Ish Israel and the Yanit, and he solves the problem. Israel she- Afal Pishahtai Israelu Am Israel, even though it sins, Israel who because Israel has within him the ability to correct himself, whether the correction comes from the same Am Israel doing tshuva or whether another element within Am Israel comes and corrects the situation. B'nei Yisrael are constantly in a relationship with God. And even when they fail, they are constantly attempting to correct themselves and make themselves better. And if they can't correct themselves, the next generation can correct them. And this, the sud of HaRashat Bilam is Netzach Yisrael. That in the core of Knesset Yisrael, it's Yisrael Afal Chata Yisrael hu And therefore, no matter who comes from the outside and wants to curse B'nei Yisrael, God's vision of B'nai Israel is one of Matovo Oalecha Yaakov, Mishkanotacha Israel. Shabbat Shalom.